0: Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. I am Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Hey, everybody. We are thankful that you're listening in on this episode, and we are on number 52.
1: Oh, 52. That's like 52 weeks in a year.
0: Oh, I guess, you know, it has been about a year.
1: (laughs) Man, but you know, I I, I think it's probably been more than a year because we've kind of skipped a few weeks in there.
0: It's true, yes.
1: But we still should have probably done like a one-year you know, party or something like give away a free one life t-shirt or, you know, yeah,
0: we we could do that.
1: All of our faithful subscribers. Uh, Maybe we'll put a link in the description and be like, if you would like to receive a free one life t-shirt, click here.
0: <laughs> yeah, we could do that. Are we really going to do that.
1: I don't know. We might, that's going to be part of the hook. Like everyone's going to be so like intrigued and, drawn in they're going to go visit the page just to find out right everyone
0: uh, i don't know what to do with
1: this <laughs> 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 tiffany's like okay we're way off track and i just don't, I don't know, know to what to do with it <laughs> because it's like a t-shirt
0: i'm just thinking through all the details like,
1: <laughs> you're you're in the like how okay, are we gonna do the t-shirt thing then you
0: have to wait for people to give their information and then you have to like yeah get well their we don't size. have to work that out right
1: now Um, there, there, there's no promise of a t-shirt, but there might be. So, (laughs) so there you go. Um,
0: oh man.
1: All right. So we, we are in Genesis 32, uh, still plowing through the story of Jacob. We're, We're seeing a theme in Genesis about how God wants to meet with us. And we established that in some earlier podcasts, but it's kind of coming in, in Jacob's life as well. God does this radical meeting with him in a previous episode of his life. Where he's at Bethel, and he gets this dream, and there's a ladder, and you know it's 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 a pretty radical encounter, and and God initiated that. We're gonna do this story where Jacob, uh, instead of Jacob meeting with God, he's gonna meet with his brother Esau, and it is kind of a dramatic story because you know Jacob did uh, Esau wrong, he did him dirty, very, and uh, he stole the blessing from his father. And his mother said, well, your brother just found out that you did all this, and you just need to get out of town because he's probably going to kill you. So Jacob fled town. He went and found Laban, and he worked 14 years to get two wives, Rachel and Leah. And so we're jumping in at the part of the story where after this 14-year stint, he's about to come back into the land, and you know what's on his mind. He's like, what if Jacob hears that I'm coming back, and then he meets me by surprise? And Esau he,
0: hears yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: what if Esau <laughs> hears? So he's you know Jacob is a clever guy. he's he's a deceiver, he's a manipulator. and he said, you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna do like some preventative maintenance here. I'm gonna be the first to, to encounter him. I'm not gonna be taken by surprise. So he sends some messengers over to let Esau know, hey, Jacob is coming. He sort of like anticipates Esau being angry and mad at him. And he actually takes a bunch of, like, livestock and arranges the livestock in different groupings. The plan is that when they start coming back into the land and they eventually meet Esau, that if Esau is really ticked off, then he'll spend his time, you know, sort of slaughtering or taking the first group of animals. And then that'll give Jacob time to, like, respond and say, "Uh uh-oh, he's mad. Mm -hmm. He gets the first group of animals, but he's not going to get the second, third, and fourth group. And he's definitely not going to get access to us and my family. And so, you know, Esau's got this really clever strategy about how he's going to encounter him. He's like doing contingency planning.
0: You keep trading their names. <laughs>
1: oh, oh my goodness. Am I saying Esau instead of Jacob?
0: You did that time. Oh, sorry. And then the last time you did the opposite. <laughs>
1: sorry. So, so, so yeah, uh, Jacob is the really clever one. He's the one who's doing this contingency plan. and But he tells his messengers, when you go meet with him, you need to tell him, You know that, hey, I'm not worthy. I'm the least of all your servants. Please, you know, let's make up. And here's my gift. Here's these animals. He's going to give you some gifts and and will you please accept this and let's make up. That's where we're kind of jumping in today is we're going to jump into the middle of this story of where Jacob has got this nervous anxiety about meeting his brother Jacob and how he's kind of <laughs> you know trying to I'm oh I did it again. J- Jacob has got this nervous anxiety about meeting Esau. Yeah. And uh you know he's going to he's trying to remedy that. He's trying to make it right if you will. So we're, we're going gen- to jump in at Genesis 32 and verse 13.
0: Okay. Verse 13 of Genesis 32. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Wow, he has a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's given a pretty sizable gift here.
0: He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds.
1: Okay, so this is the part where he's separating the animals into different groups, so that if he goes after the, after the first batch of animals, he can kind of be like, uh-oh. You know, it's kind of like his warning system. Now, I I did leave out a detail that I should have said when Jacob's messengers met with Esau, that his messengers came back and said, hey, Esau got the message but he's coming with 400 men okay so uh-oh. <laughs> that, yeah so, so Jacob is like yeah he's definitely in uh-oh mode he's like oh my goodness my brother's coming he's got 400 men he's gonna wipe us out yeah sorry that's a minor detail to the storyline there
0: minor yeah so he he had reason to be scared that's right okay verse 17 he instructed the one in the lead when my brother Esau meets you and asks Who do you belong to, and where are you going, and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us.
1: Okay, let, let's let's press pause right here just real quick because notice how Jacob is framing the relationship. Okay, he's not saying I'm your brother. He's not saying you know we're friends. He's saying that I'm your servant
0: and Lord. You're yeah, and Lord Esau, Esau is the Lord. Okay,
1: right. so he's he's coming in with hat in hand. I mean, his hands are ringing. He's lowering himself, he's humbling himself and he's basically he's trying to say all the right words or at least he wants his messengers to tell Esau all the right words. Uh, so he's he, he's kissing up is is what he's doing. Uh, th- this next verse verse 20 is going to have a couple words in here we want to focus on and we'll kind of reveal why which way we're going you know with our podcast today.
0: Okay so verse 20 and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind you. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on a hand. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp.
1: Okay. I, I really like the translation that your your Bible used. It was the word pacify. This word pacify in, in the New King James, it's appease. And this is actually the Hebrew word, uh, a kafar. It's it's where we get the word kippur or like the, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And it's the Hebrew word for atonement. It often gets translated as atonement. The reason why we're kind of pausing on this is because th- this story is often used as an illustration of how God is kind of like Esau and we're kind of like Jacob and the offerings or the animals are kind of like the sacrificial system or when you get up into the new testament Jesus is kind of like the animals and he's kind of like a sacrifice and what the sacrifice of Jesus or even you know the sacrificial system in the old testament it's really intended to pacify or appease an angry god and that and that's really the role of Jesus, that's really the role of sacrifice, is that God's posture towards us is anger because we've sinned. He's wrathful. And what these sacrifices do, and ultimately what Jesus does is Jesus comes along and he satisfies God's wrath or he satisfies God's anger by offering himself uh, as, as a gift.
0: So just to clarify, that's what that's the way a lot of people talk about Or use this story. That's right. People
1: look to this story and they say, see there, that word atonement is there. Look at what's going on in the story. Can't you see that that's how sacrifice works? That's how, you know, the book of Leviticus, that's how that works. And especially that's how the sacrifice of Jesus works, is that God is angry just like Esau. It's clear as day. This is what's going on in the story of Jesus, and we have an illustration of it right here. But I want to say a few things about this term Kapoor, which gets translated as pacify or appease in most translations or something similar to it, is that God is actually never the object of this verb in the entire Bible. And I think that's really significant because the way it's often presented is that Jesus is doing something to God, that God has this angry face And then Jesus does something and it kind of changes God's face. It's it's kind of like that idea, like when someone walks in the room and they start walking towards you and you see that they're angry and you're like, oh man, like what's going on? Like, did I say something? Like, you know, what's happening? And there's this assumption that this is kind of like God's fundamental posture towards us is that he's angry, he's coming into the room, and he's coming directly for us. And we gotta do something to change the situation or it's gonna turn out badly. This term Kapoor it is never directed at God. This particular story is the only time that Kapoor is actually directed towards the idea of appeasing or pacifying or satisfying an individual. Anytime you read it in the book of Leviticus or Exodus or the entire Bible, it's never Uh, pointed at God in that way. God is never being satisfied or appeased by a sacrifice or by some kind of offering. Um, It's actually just the opposite. This term is used in Leviticus and Exodus and all these sacrificial texts in relation to the furniture of the tabernacle, the cleansing, the atoning that takes place is actually has something to do with something entirely different which we'll get into that later in a more detailed way. What's interesting about this story with Jacob and Esau is that it actually turns out entirely different than what Jacob thought it would. When when Esau finally makes it to Jacob, he actually runs past all of the animals, all of the offerings that Jacob was going to kind of bribe or manipulate him with. And Esau runs to him and embraces him and is excited to see him, which is really confusing for Jacob because he thought he was coming with his 400 men to do some serious damage. Esau actually refuses the offering. He refuses the gift, and that's, that's actually in chapter 33 where you kind of see what happens when Esau meets Jacob. But I'm kind of like grinding on this because I think fundamentally, we have a, there's a, a tendency within everyone to kind of think that God is just angry. And if we were to meet him face to face, he would have an angry face, he would have a look of disappointment. Like, we,
0: I'm too bad, or I didn't get this right, so he's going to be mad at me. Or...
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like going to, going to meet the principal. You know, it's like your name gets called and the principal wants to see you. And you're thinking, "Uh oh, you know, this is not going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) And you're thinking, man, like, you know, is it my grades? Is it it's it's like you start getting all all nervous and anxious about um, this encounter. But all through Genesis up until this point, God never has this kind of posture towards people when he wants to meet with them. Uh, He meets with Adam to meet with him, him and Eve. He meets with Cain and Abel through the sacrificial system there. They're offering sacrifices. And his, he's not the kind of person where he says, in order for you to meet with me, you first got to satisfy me and, and deal with my anger first. That that's just not how God works. And there's there's a part of religion and, you know, certain streams in Christianity that actually teach that. They say that if you're, when you meet with God, if you don't bring something to change his mood and make him happy, he's going to be angry. He's going to be disappointed when you see his face. Yeah, but then aren't you glad that Jesus, you know, sort of satisfied that and appeased God on your behalf? It's just not an accurate way of seeing God. The, the stories in the Bible don't reveal that posture in God when he is coming to meet with us.
0: Yeah, this is really important for our relationship with God, with the Father especially, because like you're saying, basically we're going we're gonna to mess up. We're, we're not going to do everything perfectly. And what we're saying is, it's not like he doesn't want to be around us or that he doesn't want to talk to us because we messed up. It's, it's not like we have to have Jesus make us look perfect so that we can just be around God. And that is extremely important because we're not going to do everything perfectly. But to know his posture towards us is going to be, I always want to be with you. It doesn't matter if you fell down and messed up. I'm here and I want to walk with you. That's always his posture. So that, that is definitely a, a huge paradigm that that needs to be shifted in, in a lot of the church because it really does keep people from feeling like they can go to God. We should be able to go to God anytime, any situation, whatever we're, we've done, whatever we're going through, we should feel comfortable because he really is the most comfortable person to go to, truly he's going to be the most helpful and the mo- kindest person to go to and that is really important for us to understand
1: yeah it's, it's 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 super foundational and to get that wrong it it reaps all kinds of dysfunction in in the relationship and part of the the debate there is a debate about how to translate that term uh, kapoor and w- the decision you make about that term does put you on a different track, depending on which interpretation you use. The technical term would be, if you're going for the satisfy or pacify translation, then you would use, you know, the the Bible word would be propitiation, Uh, you know, like, like, you know, the word nobody ever uses anywhere, anytime, ever, (laughs) like a lot of Bible words. The other way, if you're looking at Kippur as a cleansing, which is... There's overwhelming evidence for that's what this term is about, especially in the sacrificial system, is you would use the term expiation. The scholars kind of debate with each other, is it supposed to be propitiation or expiation? And it really does matter which one you choose. It, they are two different frameworks, they are t- two different paradigms, and they do shape the way that you understand the story of Jesus and what he's doing on the cross, and, you know, just the whole nine. So we're, we're, we're going to go to a passage in 1 John mm-hmm. 2 that actually illustrates the expiation approach, that it's not only evident in the book of Leviticus and Exodus and other places, but the term kippur, the Hebrew term kippur, is translated in Greek as hilasterion or hilaskomai. It's a Greek term used to translate the Hebrew term kippur, and only appears in a few places, in the New Testament, and we're going to go to one of those places in 1 John. So I I guess I'll read. Okay. So 1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, what's really interesting when 1 John is that he starts off in chapter 1 by saying, you know, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. And the emphasis is on cleansing. It's always on cleansing in 1 John. And what's interesting here is that this term halaskomai, or in Hebrew would be kapur, it shows up in verse 2. And he says that he himself is our Halaskamai. He is our kapur. Jesus is our Kapoor for our sins. And, you know, for John, it's, it's all about cleansing. It, it's all about, you know, scrubbing clean. And the atonement is directed towards us. It's directed towards our sins. It's not Jesus directing his offering towards God to atone or to satisfy or pacify God. Jesus offers his blood to cleanse us, which means if we're walking in the light, you know, light being more like a, a spotlight, not like a laser beam, <laughs> you yeah. know, a lot like this really thin line that you're like, man, I'm, man there's no way I could walk in that. <laughs> if, if we're walking in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us. It's, it's a continual atonement, it's a continual kapur, and it, it's just a really beautiful picture about what Jesus has done to provide for our cleansing. He actually gave his life to do something about a problem that we had, and there's just a tremendous amount of love, a tremendous amount of sacrifice there, and, you know, John will touch on that later in his letter, but this is one of the few places that word is found, and it's overwhelmingly pointing in the direction of cleansing and not pacifying or satisfying. This is good. Yeah. In the end, the story of Jacob actually illustrates the exact opposite of what some people appeal to the story for. If you read the end of the story, it's like, well, the Esau is demonstrating a completely different response, and that's kind of what I was trying to you know, help us get to today is that if we can get to that point where we actually see God running to us and embracing us and saying, look, you don't have to do that. You don't have to bribe me. I I actually want to be with you, and um, I'm not holding your past against you.
0: Yeah, so in closing out, if you feel like you have tension about coming to God or if you're struggling with something or if you've done something wrong and you are have intention about just coming to him and just even talking to him or being with him, then I just encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit for help. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what God is really like and show his heart for you and what he's really thinking about you. Just ask for help and start asking those questions, seeking out the truth of how does God really see me? How does he see our time together? You know, let's just take a minute to pray. God, thank you for your goodness towards us. Thank you for your love towards us. Thank you for all of the people that will be listening to this. And we just come to you for help. Holy Spirit, would you cleanse us, our minds, our ideas about you that are not right. Cleanse any faulty paradigm we may have about who you are, about your true nature. And even about who we are to you. And would you reveal yourself, God, to us? Reveal who you truly are. And show us your heart for us. Thank you so much, God. We love you. In Jesus' name. Yeah, so we need to close it out. But thanks for bringing this up, Tim. If you have any questions or comments, you are welcome to go to our podcast notes and leave us a comment or question. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.